to get speed. And I was trying to decide whether to take an Uber or the train to the vet's office. Admittedly, I've only taken the train a handful of times since the start of the pandemic. Um, but since it was only a short train ride away, I decided to take the train. I packed up Nala's backpack and off we went. And as I walked down the stairs to the subway platform, I noticed that there was a homeless person who was kicking the walls and making all kinds of ruckus. I paused for a moment with Nala in my arms and contemplated whether to continue walking towards the turnstile or whether I should just turn around, go back up the stairs and just hop in a cab. And as I, as I contemplated what to do next, as a good New Yorker, I took in my surroundings to see what was going on. I noticed that there was a man in the ticket booth, there were lots of people on the platform, and there was an MTA worker changing the trash bin. What would you have done in that moment? Well, because there were a lot of people who didn't seem to mind the homeless person, I decided that it was safe enough to walk through the turnstile. But as I swiped my Metro card and walked through the turnstile, I noticed the homeless person immediately took notice of me and Nala and started yelling and repeatedly saying, you better go back to the other side of the turnstile, go back right now. And if you don't, I'm going to take your dog and throw it on the tracks in front of the train. With his eyes on my puppy Nala, I noted he was quickly becoming more and more agitated and he started coming towards me. And as you can imagine, I panicked and I looked around and I immediately ran behind that MTA worker for protection. And as I did, the homeless person continued yelling, aggressively demanding that I take Nala and leave the train station right now. And at that moment, I asked the MTA worker, like, what should I do? Should I leave? Understandably, yes, right? Most of us would think, I'm out of here. But the MTA uh, worker had mentioned to me, he's like, you know, I think because he's standing in front of the turnstiles that it'd be best for you to just stay behind me until the train comes. The MTA worker yelled back at the homeless person asking him to leave me alone. He said, she ain't done nothing to you, leave her alone. My heart was pounding. I wasn't sure what to do. An older man approached me, he showed me his cell phone, and he told me that depending on whether the homeless person jumps on the train or not, that I might wanna consider just waiting for the next train, which was only two minutes behind. But to my relief, the homeless person eventually backed off and started to walk down the platform in the other direction. Oof. So when the train finally arrived, everyone told me that I should just get on the train. I thanked the MTA worker for his help and for protecting me and I hopped onto the first car of the subway train. And as the train took off, a woman sat next to me and tried to comfort me as she noticed that I was visibly upset by what just happened. 
and I held on to Nala tight as the woman, she gently was talking to me, creating small talk as a way of just trying to calm me down. She commented on how she thought that there were a lot of homeless people on the subway platforms across the city, especially since the start of the pandemic. We both expressed relief that the homeless person didn't hurt anyone, including us. I sat there thanking God for protecting me in that moment. I took a few deep breaths and sat quietly as the train proceeded to the next stop. We finally arrived at the next train stop when all of a sudden the woman sitting next to me jumped up and yelled, oh no, there he is. With confusion, I, I turned around and I saw the homeless person, the same one, jump onto the train. As he approached me, still agitated and yelling again, I just about lost it. But the woman sitting next to me, she stood up, she held her arms out like this, and she said, just stand behind me and I'll protect you. She fearlessly stood there. And another gentleman who was also sitting near us observed what was happening and immediately stood up to stop the homeless man from reaching us. The woman who was standing in front of me encouraged me to jump out just before the train doors closed so that I could avoid him and just wait for the next train. And so, because I thought that was a good idea, as, as the doors began to close, I quickly jumped out with Nala, glanced over to look for the homeless man when I noticed that he too had jumped out of the train. I quickly glanced around and realized that there was no one else on the platform except for me and the homeless person. And at that moment, as you can imagine, I panicked and I began to scream. Throughout the coronavirus pandemic, my little family of three has stayed put right here in our beloved city of New York. While many of our colleagues, friends, and neighbors have fled the city, we committed to staying. I'm not gonna lie, my husband Alex once or twice recommended that we flee to Mexico and the image of laying on the beach with the sun hitting my face with an horchata in my hand was quite enticing. But in the end, we stayed. In a much talked about LinkedIn post published several months ago titled, New York City is dead forever and here's why. The author, James Altucher, argued that the city was at an all time low in terms of financial ruin, culture and real estate. But dead forever, really? I mean, I can see how the author would feel this way. Truth is there were and continues to be parts of the city that look like a ghost town. Retail chains like Century 21, considered to be an icon New York institution filed for bankruptcy and closed all 13 of its locations on the East Coast and shut its doors for good. And while there are always lots of options in terms of great places to eat in the city, we learned that over 1,200 restaurants have permanently closed since March. 
music venues have also been hit. The Jazz Standard, a New York perennial favorite, closed its doors this month. In a recent New York Times article titled, Is New York City Over? Yes, this does seem to be a very popular topic these days. The author, Juliana Kim, reported that there are shops that survived the Great Depression and both world wars, but were unable to survive this pandemic. Now that's truly depressing. But as a proud New Yorker, I'll be honest and share that I kind of took offense to that infamous LinkedIn post. Have we been struggling? Absolutely. But dead forever? For anyone who's lived in New York City long enough, you know full well that New Yorkers are not considered the, the on-the-go, fast-walking, honest, quick-talking people for nothing. I mean, we're hardworking, artistic, creative, incredibly smart, diverse, beautifully diverse, entrepreneurial, passionate, maybe a little intense, maybe a little annoying at times, but rich in all aspects of that humankind has to offer. And we are far from over. I mean, not everyone has left, we're still here. Those of you who are in the city, you're still here. And I can tell you that New York City is very much alive and as resilient as ever. I mean, there is so much to love about New York City. Central Park, the theater district, the donuts, the music, the art, the architecture, but most importantly, the people. I recently came across an article in Time Out magazine titled 51 Reasons You Know You Are a Real New Yorker. While we don't have the time to go through all 51, I thought I would share some with you. Let's see how many you can check off. Even if you have nowhere to be, you're still in a rush to get there. Yep. You can dine outside next to a garbage truck and a jackhammer drill without being phased. True. You pronounce it drawer, not drawer. You no longer get excited when you see film crews in your neighborhood, but still tell everyone what actor you spotted. I'm totally guilty of that. The last person I saw in our neighborhood was Rami Malek, who won the Best Actor Oscar for Bohemian Rhapsody. That was awesome. Your entire closet is black, and that includes your face mask. Yep. <laughs> and finally, one that I would like to add that I heard a fellow New Yorker say, you believe New York City is not over until New Yorkers collectively agree it's over. As a psychologist, I've been providing counseling to many individuals who've developed anxiety, depression, are struggling with loneliness, dealing with separations from loved ones, struggling with abusive relationships, trying to make sense of social justice issues and politics, or navigating complex family dynamics, and who are coping with all kinds of losses. To say it's felt like a lot is an understatement. It seems that everywhere we turn, 
there's another major national disaster and, or tragedy that we're all facing. The reality of suffering is real and pervasive. And we all seem to be asking the same question. When is this all going to end? I know that there are so many of us who would have never guessed that on top of all that we already deal with in this life, um, all the struggles that we have, that on top of that, that we are still in the midst of this pandemic. And yet, here we are with numbers climbing as we head into the new year. So how do we cope? How do we maintain a sense of resilience when we are feeling troubled? Please turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. I'll be reading the New International Version. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What a beautiful song of praise, grace, and thanks, thankfulness by Mary. It's evident that she was pouring her heart out to God in gratitude for the blessings of her life. She had just received word that she was chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. And after she accepted, her heart was overflowing with thankfulness expressed by praising and honoring God in song. Now, I would like to go back though for a bit to reflect on the time when the angel first appeared to Mary. In Luke 1.29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled in response to what the angel was telling her. Why was she troubled? Well, personally, I can think of so many reasons. I mean, who wouldn't freak out at the angel's request? This was definitely not in Mary's plan. And I can't even begin to imagine the public humiliation that she and her family must have endured, let alone dealing with a fiance who was already contemplating divorce before they were even married because she had conceived out of wedlock. And I imagine that trust was likely broken too, at least until the angel appeared to Joseph and told him to trust Mary. And even then, I'm sure that it took some time to naturally recover from all of that. In the book of Luke, we are given one definitive reason why Mary was troubled. Luke 1.29 says, Mary was greatly troubled at the saying 
and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, Mary was troubled by the angel's greeting. So what about the greeting was troubling? Mary was likely trouble, troubled because for a young Jewish woman, that expression, the Lord is with you, would bring to mind what was spoken to so many of the great legends of the Old Testament. When God called upon someone for a specific purpose that would stretch the person like never before, the assurance that the Lord would be with that person was often given. For example, in Exodus 3.12, when Moses was called by God at the burning bush to convince Pharaoh to let the people go, the Lord told Moses, I will be with you. In Joshua 1.5, when Joshua was called to lead the people into the hostile territory of the promised land, God said, I will be with you. So when Mary heard the angel say, the Lord is with you, what do you think she was thinking? She was standing in the tradition of Moses and Joshua and all the prophets who heard similar words when God called upon them to do something life-changing for generations to come. These words would indicate to Mary that God was about to call upon her for his ultimate purpose. Upon hearing these words, Mary probably was thinking, uh, uh, what might God be asking me to do? It's understandable that Mary would feel troubled. Have you ever felt like God has called upon you to do something that is out of your comfort zone? If God is asking, it likely is. But the crucial question here is, what do you do when you feel troubled? What's so beautiful about the encounter between the angel and Mary is that the angel told her in Luke 1:37 what her heart needed to hear, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so despite Mary's fears and how troubled she felt when the angel appeared, she said yes to what was being asked of her. And not only that, she thanked God too. How often do we approach the challenges in our lives by thanking God? I would imagine that we often respond with questions such as, why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me in this moment? How supportive and gracious are we when we're troubled and experiencing something that is far from what we ever wanted or expected? for ourselves. There are so many lessons to be learned from Mary's experience, but I believe one of the most transformative lessons for me is the importance of incorporating gratitude as Mary modeled in our daily lives. Psalms 107.21 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped my heart exults, and with my song, I give thanks to him. Dr. Robert Emmons, an American psychologist who studied the psychology of gratitude and religion, defines gratitude as more than just a feeling of thankfulness. 
Gratitude is a deeper appreciation for someone or something that produces longer lasting positivity, longer lasting positivity. And he states that the feeling of gratitude involves two stages. First comes the acknowledgement of goodness in one's life. And second, gratitude is recognizing that some of the sources of this goodness lie outside the self. Gratitude has been found to enhance well-being, strengthen relationships, promote physical health, and decrease overall stress. More specifically, people who intentionally incorporate gratitude practices into their lives have been found to be more agreeable, less neurotic, more open to experiences, less depressed, and even more hopeful. Expressing gratitude also makes people more willing to forgive each other, and it deepens connections, connections that we all desire. For patients, and I found, I found this to be quite interesting, and that is that for patients with symptoms of heart failure, completing gratitude journals showed reduced inflammation, improved sleep, and better moods. It's incredible. Gratitude was a permanent disposition of Mary. And so it's my belief that her faith in God and her emphasis on gratitude contributed to her ability to be open and at peace with, with uh, what was ahead for her. And by following Mary's lead, we too can be at ease when coping with uncertainty, and we too can be resilient in this crazy and unpredictable world. If gratitude comes first in our personal lives, we can navigate life with faith and confidence in knowing that with God, all things are possible. Since the pandemic, I've been thinking a lot about gratitude and have been incorporating gratitude practices uh, in both my own personal life and also in my clinical practice with clients. And I wanted to share some with you, some ways you might consider incorporating gratitude practices into your own life. One, maybe take a short walk or run and be intentional about gratitude. Like in other words, um, like for example, if I go for a run or whatever, I'm usually like trying to solve the world's problems. I'm, I'm thinking about my day, I'm thinking about how I can check things off the list. And I'm just thinking about all kinds of things. Instead of doing that, think about gratitude. While you're walking or running, observe the sights, the sounds, the smells as you encounter them. Perhaps a child's giggle or a tall majestic tree or a stranger's smile. And at that time, at, at each time that you notice something positive, take the time to absorb it and think about why you enjoy it. Second, practice self-compassion. This is a big one. The more loving you are with yourself, the more loving you can be with everyone around you. We can be so hard on ourselves and it's so much easier to beat ourselves up. 
take the time to acknowledge your strengths, your gifts, talents, non-judgmentally. And if integrating self-compassion into your life seems like an impossible task, take some time to heal the parts of yourself that resist it. Write a gratitude letter. Laura talked about this in her sermon last week, which I really appreciated and wholeheartedly believe in. Writing a letter, writing instead of email or texting and delivering it. I love receiving those kinds of letters. Write a heartfelt letter of gratitude to someone. Uh, writing one can not only boost your sense of gratefulness, but also strengthen your bond with them. Now, I wanna acknowledge and make no mistake that gratitude is a difficult concept. And it's especially difficult in today's world. It is estimated that Americans see up to 10,000 advertisements a day. Ads are constantly telling us why we need this or that and are not complete until we purchase what they are selling. And we're constantly being manipulated into thinking that we're in need of something else. Right now, the holidays are approaching and the ads are coming on full force. But this is the opposite of gratitude. So much of life's journey is not within our control. There will always, always be surprises, uncertainty, difficult people, loss, failure, and really scary and unexpected situations. But you can be assured that the challenges you face will never be more than you can handle. Isaiah 40, 29 says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. So going back to the subway platform, I saw my life flash before me as the subway doors began to close. I screamed for someone to help me knowing full well that something really terrible could happen if I were left alone with this really agitated homeless person on the platform. But fortunately, that brave woman on the train came to my rescue once again by reaching in between the doors before they closed. And as they opened again, she, along with several, several others, helped open the doors and pulled me back onto the train. The homeless man tried to get on too, but thankfully he had no choice but to let go of the doors and the doors closed on him. Terrified and relieved by what just happened, I sat down shaking and also praising God for protecting me and for putting that incredibly brave woman in my presence to fearlessly save me from what, from what could have been a really awful outcome for me or my precious puppy Nala. As I continue to reflect on my experience, I can't help but feel immense gratitude to the fearless woman who God used to keep me safe and calm. She was a fully covered Muslim woman who acted with grace when she responded to my traumatizing situation. I will never forget her eyes. She displayed kindness and thoughtfulness and empathy to me, a stranger. 
when she could have just sat and done nothing. I hope she knows how profoundly grateful I am to her. I've also been thinking a lot about that homeless person. There was obviously something that triggered his aggressive reaction. I wondered what his story was. It made me sad to think about because the depth of his pain must, has, must be as intense as his aggression. And it's people like him who also need our love, support, and assistance. This evening, Advent Hope will be hosting our annual holiday benefit concert. I can't wait. And our beneficiary this year is the Bowery Mission. Their mission is to serve the homeless and provide services that meet their immediate needs and transform their lives from poverty and hopelessness to hope. I hope you will consider joining us. God saw that we all need salvation because truth is we all get distracted sometimes. Okay, lots of times. We let fear get in the way. Our, our frustration gets the best of us or we just feel exhausted. The good news is that despite ourselves, God loves each and every one of us me and you, and offers us the ultimate gift. John 3, 16, we, so many of us know it well, says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So how should we respond with this gift of salvation? by holding on patiently to his promise and by expressing gratitude for his goodness. Psalms 106.1 reads, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. With God's grace and by practicing gratitude, we all have the capacity to get through the hard stuff and come out stronger on the other side. Amen.